This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live, Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833, the number 4, and my last name, Valdez. Again, Valdez with an S, V-A-L-D-E-S, or 833-482-5337. And the theme of today, everywhere you look, is a remembrance of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And... This is someone that I, uh, I have, you know, I've admired a lot of Dr. King's work over the years, and I've heard all the stories, the FBI tapes, all of it. But it doesn't change what he brought about, and it doesn't change the core of what he stood for. And it's interesting to me how this, um, how it transpires from year to year, whether it's these new types of sculptures that you may have seen uh, that, uh, that are deemed controversial or, or just uh, people trying to politicize this day as opposed to a remembrance of his work and his legacy and his dream and making it something other, you know, and kind of perverting it. You know, for example, in some breaking news, right, there is the story that's coming out of Florida. CBS News is reporting that eight people were shot at a Martin Luther King Jr. Day event in Florida. This is according to the sheriff's office there. People were getting together for a car show and a family fun day. And, you know, somebody got stupid, started shooting, and other people got hurt. There's always somebody that's trying to make a bad situation out of a good thing. But that doesn't mean we lose sight of what is, right? Now, many of you guys have heard me talk about a charter school that I, I was uh, involved in, in founding and was a board member of for about nine or ten years. And the name of the school is the Beloved Community Charter School. And what does that have to do with anything? I'll explain. The idea, the concept for this school came from the concept of the Beloved Community. Now, this was a term from the early, uh, early 20th century from the philosopher Josiah Royce. But this was something that was embraced by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., he was a member of Dr. Royce's group. It was called the Fellowship of Reconciliation. And I want to read you a little passage on what the beloved community stood for and what it meant. For Dr. King, the beloved community was not just some lofty utopian goal to be confused with the rapturous image of the peaceable kingdom that you would envision, you know, from the book of Revelation or something like that where lions and lambs coexist in idyllic harmony. But rather, the beloved community for him was a realistic, achievable goal 
that could be attained by a critical mass of people committed to and trained in the philosophy and methods of nonviolence. Now, this doesn't mean that people don't lose their heads from time to time. And, and you know, I, I, I believe in nonviolence. It doesn't mean that, you know, I might not think three times and punch you in the face, right? I mean, everybody has a bad moment, but that's just how life is. And Dr. King's beloved community was a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth, right? It's a very, very lofty utopian thing, but, but yet at a practical level. Like one would say, it sounds very Marxist, Rich Valdez. Well, no, it's not because this isn't coerced by the government. This is voluntary. And th- this, this beloved community concept wasn't devoid of interpersonal conflict. Instead, he recognized that conflict was an inevitable part of the human experience. He believed that conflict could be resolved peacefully and that adversaries could reconcile through a mutual determined commitment to nonviolence. Conflict, he believed, should never erupt into violence and that all conflicts in the beloved community should end with reconciliation with your adversaries in a spirit of friendship and goodwill. So, again, this is pretty flowery language and I understand not always uh, achievable, but that was his goal. And and there's more to it. In uh, 1957, he gave a speech called Birth of a New Nation. And he said, the aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation. The aftermath of violence is emptiness and, and bitterness. Excuse me, the aftermath of violence is emptiness and bitterness. And I think he couldn't be more right. When you look at a story like the one that CBS News published at 9.57 p.m. where people are getting shot in Florida, or when we look at all of the carnage that we see in many inner cities where people are shooting each other in, in these horrific events that we see every, every Monday, right? Every Monday we get a report on what's going on in Chicago, what's going on in, in Detroit and Trenton and Philly. So I, I take a step back and I look at these things and I say, man, you know, I'm grateful for the idea of the beloved community that Dr. King left behind. And I don't dismiss it out of hand and say, this is never going to happen. This is not something we can do. I actually disagree with that. I, I of a color society we can help, that we can help each other. And yeah, we'll have conflict. And yeah, we might have to, you know, scrap every now and again. It's not a perfect world, but we can each work to make it a better one, which is what I think Dr. King did. And I think that's one of the core, the, the core values of his quest for this beloved community was, you know, as a, as a preacher, it was the agape love that, that he, you know, is, is discussed in the Bible. So not to, to start a sermon here, but to really just point out the beloved community. I think this is a goal that we need in Washington. It's a goal we need in our day-to-day lives. The, the simple idea, loving your neighbor, what the founders called virtue, Right. This, this simple notion, I think, has, has been lost upon us, and we need to find it. We can't just sit here going through life without it because we, we go astray. And uh, so tonight, I, I want to spend as much time as I can discussing with some really interesting guests about the future of the American family, about the, the future of what, uh, you know, it looks like as our children grow up. I want to talk about 
the border. Nothing to do with Dr. King, but we, I want to talk about the border because the country's changing, and we have to have a focus on what's going on at the border. Uh, I want to discuss what's going on with patriotism and how that fits into this message of, of loving your fellow man. And I want to talk about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King because it's his legacy that we look at today. It's his legacy that we remember today. And it's his legacy that at least people in my generation grew up learning about where we, we had an appreciation for people that didn't share the same skin tone as us. And it didn't matter because it wasn't, that wasn't the focus. It wasn't like today's uh, media where there's, there's left within the media that sadly choose to focus on this and live their lives through this lens where all they do is focus on race and gender and sexual orientation. So we're going to get into that and so much more with our guest, Dr. Alveda King, who's coming up straight ahead. She's the niece of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and she joins us right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I stand here inspired by the preacher who is one of my only political heroes. I've been saying, and Andy's heard me say it for years, I have two political heroes my entire life when I started off as a 22-year-old kid in the East Side in the Civil Rights Movement and got elected to the United States Senate when I was 29. I wasn't old enough to take office. All right, America, welcome back. That's uh, President Joe Biden speaking at a MLK event today. And uh, in my opinion, getting it wrong as usual. But here to set the record straight is the niece of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Alveda King. Alveda King, welcome. Thank you so much. And greetings to you and your audience. I'm so glad that you thought of me and included me on the interview tonight. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I couldn't think of anybody better than uh, speaking with you on, on these, these topics on this day. And I'm grateful that you're staying up late because we're live and we're late night. And I know a lot of people like to sleep at this hour. So <laughs> we're grateful. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Okay. So let's, um, I mean, I know we don't have a ton of time together, but I want to give the audience as best insight as they can. I know you've been running the gamut on media all day, but Let's talk a little bit about what life has been like for you as the niece of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. What was it like having that influence as you grew up? Both your dad and your uncle were were involved in civil rights. Absolutely. As a young girl, and I'm 72 years old now, so of course it's been That's 72 years young. 72 years young, and it's been a marvelous journey for me. And uh, growing up in a civil rights family with black, black Baptist preachers, I've had a wonderful experience. There's, uh, as a member of the King family, we, of course, had our share of tragedies. My uncle, M.L., Martin Luther King Jr., was shot in 1968, and then my dad uh, was killed in 1969. And their mom was actually killed in 74 uh, mm. while she was playing the organ in Ebenezer Baptist. However, none of that has caused me to lose my faith and my joy because 
I was brought up and taught by all of them to love, to forgive, and have faith in God. That has been my life experience. Now, that influence obviously has influenced your, your career. You've been very active in the pro-life movement and, and very active um, in always speaking out for the things that you believe need to be spoken out for. I want to get your, um, your, your take on just where we are today, right? Because I think where we are today is not where we were five years ago, where somebody on uh, MLK Day, it was typically everybody agreed. MLK was great. MLK uh, believed in a colorblind society. He believed in the beloved community. And we could always move on and, and agree, whether, whether you were a political person or a non-political person and whatever stripe you came from. But it seems today that's sadly not the case. It seems like it's a very uh, divisive position to say that we believe in a colorblind society and that we support Martin Luther King because there's people that have believed in um, ulterior, um, or I should say, uh, opposing viewpoints like critical race theory and things like that. How do you react to, to these movements? Well, as I hear the question, and I think about five years ago, of course, everything that has happened that's with COVID, the race wars has accelerated. Now, my uncle, Martin Luther King Jr., was never colorblind. He, of course, could see color, recognize ethnicity, celebrate ethnicity. I even have a book, We Are Not Colorblind. So to be colorblind is to say, I don't see your color, but I also don't recognize your ethnicity or your experiences. Hmm. So to judge people by the color of their skin, of course, is not what we're after, but we don't want to be colorblind either. So we want to see and celebrate ethnicity, but recognize that there is one race and that's the human race. Good and point. so as the human race, that led my uncle to say, um, we must learn to live together as brothers, our added sisters, and not perish together at school. Now, the difference there, when you recognize each other as brothers and sisters with the varied ethnicities that we all have, we see that we are the one blood, one human race. But recently, in the last five years, We've had so much trauma, so much turmoil that we've gotten away from that um, that message from my uncle. Yeah, and, and it's lamentable for sure. Is this something that you see um, helping the United States or do you see it setting us back uh, in terms of all the work that your family's done towards civil rights? Well, truth has to be taught in every generation, every decade, and with social media day by day, really, because there's so much that is happening. I don't necessarily believe that we've experienced a setback. What has happened is that, uh, you know, there's a saying that bad things happen when good people do nothing, when good people say Mm -hmm. nothing. And for a minute, there were many of us who were not speaking out, who were not proclaiming the victory of living together as brothers and sisters. So I believe that now with so much critical race theory, for example, which is a Marxist socialist thought that there is an Aryan race, blonde hair and blue eyes that's superior to every other race on the planet, that goes away from us being one blood and one Mm -hmm. human race with critical race theory. And then COVID, of course, did a setback as well when we put all of our masks on and we couldn't see each other, we couldn't touch each other. 
we forgot our humanity. So that's why today it may seem as though we've experienced a setback. But I would really like to say that there are people all over America and around the world who still see the value of recognizing human dignity. And Mm. we just have to speak up. We have to say something. We have to reach out and proclaim truth. And this is the time to do it. Yeah, I I would agree with that 100%. Now, I'm... I'm curious to know when you um, when you look at the the current landscape of things, do you do you think that um, the politics of the day are are in concert with what you know? For years, let me phrase it this way: for years, I've read that Dr. King. I've read his what he's written. I've read about the beloved community, and and it seems to me it's a more conservative message than it's not. Yet I, I feel like it, the idea of conservatism and, and Dr. King seems to be kind of rebuked when, when you put it out into the public. Why is that? And I apologize. I have some background noise. I'm in a noisy location, and I can't get away from that, so I apologize for that. But That's as fine. I answer that question, my uncle was an independent political. He was not Democrat. He was not Republican. He was a Baptist preacher. And so many of his sermons especially had that orientation. But he was conservative in in nature. He actually said, I have a dream. It's rooted in the American dream. He said, I have a dream that one day there'll be no black power, no white power, only God power and human power. So that was his thinking. There are again, are other people who understand that today. But it, in, in, in today's world, it's always, are you conservative, uh, are you liberal, are you Republican, are you Democrat? Mm-hmm. And people tend to argue over those positions. And so they really forget the Martin Luther King Jr. that encouraged us to value human dignity, to come together and unite. And that is something that we have not really seen right now. And that's the message that I'm doing my very best as his niece to proclaim in this hour. All right, uh, Dr. Alvita King, in the final uh, minute that we have together, uh, could you let everybody know about the important work you're doing and how they could support your work and follow what you're doing? Please visit me at alvitaking.com. That's alvitaking.com. I am what you call a Christian evangelist today. And I go about uh, with music, with film, Hmm. with Christian entertainment, and uh, standing for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from the womb to the tomb and beyond. Thank you, Dr. Alveda King. It's a blessing to speak with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Amen to that. Folks, straight ahead, we're going to continue this discussion with Jack Brewer. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Dr. King worked with Lyndon Johnson and was able to bring about some of the most legislative, transformative things that literally changed our life. In the last two years, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris has literally brought about things that have changed the lives of all Americans. And when I say all, that includes those of us that have been left out. There definitely has been a change to the lives of many Americans, not the least of which is the effect and impact that we've seen on the American family. I don't know if these are things that we should applaud uh, that um, uh, Reverend Sharpton is talking about, but I welcome you back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And I want to get into this conversation on how things are impacting uh, the American family in particular, because this is a a topic that I think goes oftentimes underlooked, uh, overlooked and under addressed. And we need to get to the bottom of that. So I want to bring in a guest. Our guest is Jack Brewer. He's the CEO of the Brewer Group. He was appointed to the White House Commission for the Social Status of Black Men and Boys, and he's the chair at the America First Policy Institute Center for Opportunity Now. Plus, he's the founder and executive director of the Jack Brewer Foundation. Jack Brewer, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me, brother. You got it, my man. So let's let's uh, dig into this a little bit, because when I hear uh, Reverend Sharpton on Martin Luther King Day say that, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have done so many things to really impact uh, Americans, I, I think of the family and I think of the current state of the family. And I know this is a topic I, I believe that you and I both hold near and dear is is the, the family, the nuclear family and, and where it goes from here. So I wanted to get your take, uh, A, your reaction to, to that clip of audio, and B, where where is the family headed? Jack Brewer. You know, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual battle. I mean, when you hear uh, Al Sharpton, who's uh, a reverend by title, um, you know, applies, you know, two individuals who um, really stand for nothing that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was a, a man of God first, a preacher of the gospel first. Uh, and so to, you know, speak their names in comparison to him um, when their motivation, um, where, you know, their influence, uh, One's coming in darkness, and the other one was was coming in light. And so, I think that's the core of it all. And, and then you get into the family, right? Family is, is God's creation, uh, and, there, and there's some things that can evolve. You know, a lot of folks on the left, uh, democratic-minded people, feel like everything needs to evolve. Well, 
the word of God is unchanging. And that's one thing that can, can never be changed. You know, we, we can never get so smart that we think um, that our fleshly thoughts uh, can overtake what's in that word of God. And so um, that's what Kamala Harris and Joe Biden really represent. They, they represent that evolution that's uh, confused our boys and told them they can be girls, that uh, told the American family that uh, it doesn't need a father, um, you know, that supports uh, a BLM movement um, that is uh, basically anti-Christ uh, and against uh, fatherhood and calling for villages to raise kids versus, um, you know, families that are wed, that are together. And so this is a crisis, man, and uh, it's spiritual. And when you hear uh, these type of folks speaking, you know, they'll never talk uh, about the Word of God. They'll never use the Word of God uh, in its context uh, when, they, when they're talking about these spiritual issues. And I think that, that is what saddens me, uh, because I know, um, you know, what's going to happen in the future w- with our nation. I mean, we're seeing it play out before our eyes. All right, America, we're on with Jack Brewer uh, from the jackbrewerfoundation.org. Now, Jack Brewer, I know that in your introduction I mentioned that you uh, were appointed by President Trump to the U.S. Commission uh, for the Social Status of Black Men and Boys. Tell us uh, a little bit of, about the type of work you did on that commission. Uh, well, I'm still currently an appointee and active um, mm-hmm. on the commission. I'm one of uh, two Republican appointees, and I'm actually not a Republican. I'm an independent, but um, President Trump um, felt confidence in me and my background and the work that I've uh, committed my life to uh, to help better the lives of, of black men and boys. And, and that's what the commission is here for. It's here to look at uh, different uh, disparities and, and, and different uh, issues that, that affect um, men of color, uh, whether it's criminal justice, whether it's health care, uh, in, in, in inequalities and in, in healthcare deficiencies, uh, whether we're talking about education, you know, our our our, our boys drop out of high school at, at this staggering rates. And uh, reading the math proficiency levels uh, mirror third world countries oftentimes. And so uh, there are a lot of complex issues that affect uh, black black boys. Uh, but there is no bigger issue than fatherlessness. You know, where well over 70% of black kids are born um, into fatherless homes and homes that don't have two parents together. Uh, and so uh, whenever you have those type of numbers and then you look into our prisons and you see what situation uh, is going on in there, you know, we really do need a federal commission uh, to have some type of oversight um, and, and, you know, do different, um, you know, tests and, and, and run uh, studies and research uh, the deep-rooted issues um, that are that are stemming from from this uh, epidemic. So uh, that's what we do. Um, we're a new commission. I think it's the newest federal commission, um, only about a year and a half, two years old. Uh, and so um, we have began to do work. I think we have a lot more to do. Um, you know, my prayer is that you know in these commissions that we can start you know talking about. You know the the absence of spirituality because you know that's where this all begins. You're very you're much less likely um, to marry uh, your significant other, and you must you must less likely to stay together and work yourself through issues and and be together as a family unit uh, if you don't have God in your life. If you don't have some type of spiritual component where you're 
you know, taking your family to church on Sundays or Saturday nights or whenever else you want to go, uh, and, and actually, um, you know, putting the Word of God into your kids. The Ten Commandments is not taught in school anymore. Uh, kids don't have discipline uh, anymore. You know, people um, don't spank and punish their kids uh, anymore, yet they let them, you know, sit on phones and iPads uh, and have the world just uh, completely just tarnish their minds uh, with, with all this evilness that they consume via our media. And so, we, we have a real crisis on our hands, um, and our commission is trying in a small way to do something about that. Outstanding. Folks, we are on with Jack Brewer. You can check out his website, thejackbrewerfoundation.org. And uh, straight ahead, he's with us for another segment. I want to get into a little bit of his work at the America's America First Family, uh, excuse me, America First Policy Institute, and a headline that I'm looking at that says the average American family is spending $72 a month more on food due to inflation. So we're going to get to that and more, plus your calls, um, 833-482-5337. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Jack Brewer. Uh, He's with um, the uh, AFPI, America First Policy Institute, and the JackBrewerFoundation.org. And I just want to share a quick headline with you. I I teased it before the break. Average American family spending is $72 a month more on food due to inflation as experts predict a recession in 2023. American families continue to attempt to meet the rising cost of living as inflation continues to plague household budgets. And I look at this, and, you know, there's more to it, and maybe I'll share it on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, by the way. But, Jack Brewer, I want you to weigh in on this because I know that you have um, some of the work that you do as chair of the AFPI's uh, Center for Opportunity Now is focused on on economic entrepreneurship, growth, and and actual opportunities. So tell us about that work and what you think of this headline. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me when you, when you look at the, you know, this, just the destructive mm-hmm. policies of uh, this Biden administration. You, you know, whenever you have uh, an economy that's ruined the way that it was and uh, jobs being created under the Trump administration and you saw um, you know, just, you know, companies moving back to our country. You saw uh, the America worker being empowered. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have an administrative change and it felt like you know, the steam was just taken out of the out of out of this economy. And, you know, unfortunately, hiring is difficult now. You know, we have, um, you know, gotten, you know, so much uh, welfare and entitlements into our system that, you know, it took a long time for people to even have to start you know, going to get jobs. I mean, uh, just to do some research on, on how many, you know, folks, you know, to stole millions and millions of dollars from the PPE program and now they're facing jail time. You know, we were just handing out money left and right. Uh, and so we, we you know, we, we, we fluffed mm-hmm. up this economy uh, with, with all of this, you know, massive, massive printing of, of money. 
um, that our government did trillions and trillions of dollars in the stimulus. And so, you know, that's taking a heavy toll on our economy right now. Uh, and it's hurting, you know, the poorest of the poor. It's hurting those that, you know, are, 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 are not able to, to be really big savers. Uh, and set, you know, our $72 a month extra is a lot for many families. You talk about just feeding your kids. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's difficult. I don't know if, if you got, if you've noticed, but I know mm-hmm. when I go to the grocery store now, you know, I can look at a, 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 a gallon of orange juice and it costs six, seven, eight dollars, you know, and you look at, you know, bread prices and, um, you know, and just the basic staple foods um, that, that used to be, you know, something that was normal, you know, now go, go buy a case of eggs. You know, it's, it's a, it's a luxury <laughs> item now. You need a side hustle uh, just to and, buy the eggs. Sad. You know, no doubt. I mean, I, I, you know, it's so, you know, these things are, 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 are real and there's so many families affected by this. Um, and I think, you know, at our, at our center of opportunity now, you know, we, you know, we've taken a lot of what president Trump was able to do, whether it was, through our opportunity zone legislation, um, or some of our, you know, our tax plans and tax bills uh, that that the Trump tax plan was able to just spur the economy, uh, and, and so you know he cut he he, he cut waste, you know, when, when Trump was in 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 the White House, you know, the all the regulatory cuts that were that were made, you know, helped the the small business. It really did. It helped you know the contractors and those that were hiring, uh, and and now it just seems like. You know, we have more and more regulation coming about um, and, and more and more entitlement programs that are, are just not incentivizing folks uh, to go out and work. And so, you know, that's a real issue. Um, it's a real issue that, you know, we're trying to wrap our head around at America First Policy Institute. Uh, but I think Americans are feeling it. I think, you know, the, the middle income and, and, the, and the lower income Americans, you know, are taking the, the, the brunt uh, of, of this irresponsible spending by this administration. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, listen, if, if you if you're um, if you're a billionaire or you're you know really well off, paying an extra three dollars a gallon for orange juice may not kill you. But when you're on a very fixed income and you've got smaller kids or multiple kids and there's nowhere else to to, to get money from except your your nine to five, people are feeling it. And uh, I know I hear it all the time. And that's why there's memes all over the internet about selling eggs. You know, not by the dozen, but like. By two or three, <laughs> like Lucy's at the bodega, because people are trying to get over. So I totally get it, and uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing at the America First Policy Institute and everything you're doing, um, you know, to support the American family. I think it's excellent work. Uh, Jack Brewer, let everybody know how they can find you and uh, support the work you're doing. Definitely, you can find us uh, at thejackbrewerfoundation.org. That's the Jack Brewer Foundation dot org. Um, you know we, uh, we we have programs all across the U.S. We work with fatherless kids. Um, you know we pick them up after school. We uh, tutor them. Uh, we we put them in sports programs and we mentor them. Uh, and so they they've really been working. Uh, and and also our, our work in the prison. You know our second chance programs have have really been um, you know powerful to see so many men who. You know, we're, we're in prison, but then they get out. They're rehabilitated through our Christ-based mm-hmm. programs, and then they're able to go into the workforce and become taxpayers again. Uh, and so, you know, with with you know two and a half million you know men and women in our jails and prisons across America, you know, they truly are our workforce of tomorrow. 
uh, and 85% of them are going to be returning into communities and neighborhoods across America. And so, you know, we've made a, a big effort to help rehabilitate them, help give them programs, help, help find them housing, uh, and also job placement uh, to make their, their, their recovery full circle. And let me tell you, I think this is outstanding work, and not just because I think it's altruistic, but in a past life, you know, when I worked in government, I, I volunteered as a police chaplain for the city of Newark, New Jersey's police department. Sure. And I did a lot of work with a lot of people that were in and out of the system in different ways. And oftentimes it was they just didn't know how and they needed that support. So organizations right. like yours, like the Jack Brewer Foundation dot org, I think are doing uh, doing God's work out there in the city. And we appreciate it, brother. Godspeed to you. Yes, thank you, man. God bless you. You got it, folks. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come on your call straight ahead. Plus, we're going to talk about the border at the top of the next hour. So don't move a muscle. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I know some of you are commenting and saying, my gosh, Rich, why didn't you bring up this statue? This, and I did mention it in brief, but uh, I, I wasn't about to go into it with the niece of, of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or with Jack Brewer. But maybe we're going to get your comments on, on the uh, crazy statue that was unveiled today uh, in hour number three of our program, America at Night. You can call in to America's Town Hall Forum live and late night and uh, give us your thoughts on that because I think that'll be uh, interesting. And I don't want to insult the legacy of Dr. King, but I wasn't the one that made the statue, so blame that guy. Anyway, let's go to your calls. The number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S or 833-482-5337. You can always call our legacy line as well. That's still there for you. And I want to go to Crane, Missouri, KWTO. Check in with Sharon. Hey, Sharon, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello, Mr. Valdez. Hello, um, Sharon. How are you? Martin Luther King. <laughs> Martin Luther King uh, was one of my personal heroes. And his assassination has continued to be one of the great sadnesses in my life. I believe in what he stood for. I believe in the tremendous uh, tide that he started. Um, and I believe it's going to continue to build like a great tsunami. And hopefully someday it will, it will wash over the world and we won't have to deal with the idiocy of racism anymore. Um, and if I could, since I'm not going to be calling back in, could I make a comment about the border? Yeah, go right ahead, Sharon. Okay. 30 seconds. We ha Okay, we have laws against hoarding animals in this country and keeping them in unsafe conditions. But we are becoming a hoarder of human beings. Hmm and causing unsafe conditions in our country and putting great stress on our resources. Yeah. And Congress 
had better get its act together and make immigration laws that are fair and that we can all live with. Good point, Sharon. They need to do their job. Yep, I think you're 100% right, and I thank you for the call and your kind words on Reverend King. Uh, I, and I agree with your statement that the border is, is critically important and something we have to focus on. And I think there is an unlikely Democrat mayor from the city of New York, my old stopping grounds, and he's out there advocating, saying, we've got to stop this immigration. We need the feds to step in. So I think for once he's in agreement with you, Sharon. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the border. We've got Kali Stimson, uh, former deputy DOD uh, secretary, and uh, we're going to get into that now. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. You can catch me at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And it's Martin Luther King Day. We've had a lot of interesting discussions with some wonderful guests. We have more wonderful guests to come. And I just wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things very quickly because, you know, there's still this big looming issue of Hunter Biden and what happened with these payments and those payments and what's going on and classified documents with Biden. So many things that are happening that need to be addressed. Uh, There's that um, very interesting, I'll call it controversial statue of MLK that was erected uh, and unveiled. And uh, we'll get to that in the uh, third hour. But first, I want to talk about what's going on at the border, because the border seems to be uh, uh, just a constant source of problems for the United States in many ways, Uh, not the least of which is the constant uh, influx of people. Now, CNN's reporting a a video of some migrant girls that were rescued from a river near the U.S.-Mexico border. There's uh, Biden's little show that he did last week. But the show I want to focus my attention on just for a moment is the mayor of the city of New York who shows up at the border yesterday saying he's going to apply pressure on Biden because he needs more money. He needs more money because he money will fix the problem, not shutting down the border or money for more agents, but money for the mayor of the city of New York, who's taken luxury hotels and filled them with with uh, uh, illegal immigrants. And it's just it's fascinating to me. It fascinates me. So we're going to continue that conversation as well later on. But I want to get a report on the border uh, from our guest. And our guest is somebody that's really in the know on what's going on. He's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and former deputy assistant secretary of defense for detainee affairs uh, back in the Bush administration. Kali Stimson, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Happy to have you. And I, I want to talk about uh, your piece in Daily Caller, where you, um, you you called out the Biden administration saying that this situation that's happening at the border 
is something of their own doing. Now, again, I think many of us realize that it's it's their policies that have created this mess. But I think you you laid it out pretty well. So tell us a little bit about it, Cully. Well, sure. One thing we didn't mention in the piece is that you know during the Trump administration uh, and in the last few administrations, we have welcomed over 1.1 million people into this country legally. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. That's more than most countries combined. Uh, and so it certainly is the most of any other country. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, the numbers here during the Biden tenure don't lie. And so just in the last fiscal year, uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported uh, 2.76 million alien encounters at our border. Uh, 278,000 in October alone and 283,000 in November um, and we think there's probably around 5 million illegals that have come into this country since wow. Biden took office. And put this, put, try to put your head around this, Rich. Mm-hmm. That our officials, our border officials, who I think uh, probably aren't very fond of the current president and his policies, put around 600,000, the number of gotaways, just in last year. That's the size of Nashville. Tennessee or Memphis, Tennessee, some of these mid-sized cities. So that many people, and probably a lot more, got away. That doesn't include the people who show up at the border. They're here illegally and say, I'm here, which is what these people are doing. And then Biden waves his magic regal wand. Uh, People give them a a plane ticket or a bus ticket, put them in parole or asylum status, which they don't deserve either uh, without a hearing, uh, and then send them on their merry way and as you've seen through our oversight project at Heritage, we geofence the phones that are given to these oh, folks yeah. freely. And these guys and gals and family members go to every single congressional district in the United States. So they're not staying just in Texas, although a lot do stay in Texas and that part of the country, but they go everywhere. So this is why Mayor Adams doing his little dog and pony show is down at the border uh, doing another play which is give me money uh, when, in fact, he should be saying, shame on you, President Biden, for not enforcing the laws. But he's not going to say that because he can't do it. Let me ask you, uh, Colleen Stimson from Heritage, I want to know why. What's your assessment on why Mayor Adams would not go there and say, stop it? Yeah, basta. We can't do it anymore. We've got (laughs) hotels that we're filling up. We've got rats everywhere. We've got garbage piling up. This is unhealthy for them. It's unhealthy for us. You got to put a stop to this. Because it doesn't inure to his political benefit to go against the leader of his political party. He can't do that. Uh, Now, if he had courage uh, and if he was a man of principle, he would do it. Uh, But instead, he has his tin cup out and he wants money, Uh, Mm -hmm. which, as you said at the top of the show, the money's not going to solve the problem. Uh, In fact, it's going to make it worse because what he's really saying, and let me translate for you, uh, sure. is give me more money so I can provide more services so we become more of a magnet in New York City for illegals. That's how that would turn out, as you know. Mm-hmm. Make it more of a sanctuary city. Let's, uh, let's right. if might as well, if we're destroying New York and I can't make money other ways, like through actual investment, then uh, you pay me off, I turn a blind eye, and we'll destroy the city together. Right, but what the trip does give him, Rich, is the ability to go home and say, see... I'm doing something, folks. I hear your complaints. 
And I wagged my finger at the Biden administration. I asked for that money, so don't blame me when I can't fix the problem. So he's, you know, doing what he can uh, to buff up his cred in the Big Apple, um, but he's really not solving anything. Now, let me ask you this, because to me it sounds like, and I agree with what you're saying. I do believe he's going to go back and say, look, we went down there and we talked to the Biden administration and told them they have to provide more funding and blah, blah, blah. And he's going to seem like some sort of hero to some people. But I, my, my my thinking here is that if people see that as heroic, then that means they see a problem. Whereas I think in a lot of places, they don't even see a problem. They're just like, oh, it's not a problem. Don't worry. It's somebody else's problem. It's not my problem. So if his Democrat constituency uh, overall, the, the, the electorate at large, they view this as a problem, then doesn't this eventually spread and translate to the rest of the country and have all Americans up in arms saying, we can't do this? Uh, is everybody going to go hat in hand to the Biden administration? Or do you, do you think somebody's going to say, this can't happen? You know, like DeSantis and others that, that have taken these aggressive steps. I think, do you see more governors going down that road? I don't know, uh, but you've seen the same polls I've seen, and um, you can you 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 can read just like I can read, and you know that uh, people who are here legally, uh, who uh, come from other countries, especially our southern uh, countries, uh, they support the enforcement of our immigration laws overwhelmingly, uh, mm-hmm. and so I think that this is cynical at best. It's also hypocritical. Uh, when you see the Tony limousine liberals from Nantucket crying, uh, you know, oh, my God, there's 50 illegal – I'm sorry, migrants. They call them migrants here on our jet-set Tony Island. We can't have that, and they boot them off the island uh, like day workers uh, who come over and fix their swanky homes. Uh, there's the hypocrisy. Uh, so when the Republicans and others who are moderate say every city and every state now is a border state or city, they're right. Yeah, they're right yeah. because you are sending people to every congressional district across the country and you're coercing and you're in bed with a lot of NGOs uh, who are helping you ferry them across the country. All right, amigos, we are on with Cully Stimson. He's a former deputy assistant secretary at the Department of Defense. And uh, when we come back, uh, Cully Stimson, I want you to kind of go over with us uh, just a little bit of these numbers that are coming out of Texas of people that are illegal aliens Mm -hmm. that are being arrested, as well as why certain sanctuary cities and states aren't reporting the crime data the way they should. So don't go anywhere. Again, our telephone number is 833-482-5337-833, the number four, my last name, Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started with Cully Stimson. This is America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833 valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And a very unfortunate story. Six people, including 
uh, mother and baby were killed in California. A drug cartel is suspected. And, you know, you think of drug cartels and it makes you think, man, you've got problems in California. You've got problems in Texas, uh, problems all along the southern border with uh, respect to crime and and so many of uh, these other things that are going on, not just crime with regular crime, but there's crime related to the narco trafficking. There's crime related to um, the human smuggling. And uh, it's just worrisome to me that this is the case and these crimes go unreported or underreported. So uh, we're back with our senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Cully Stimson. Cully Stimson, uh, what's going on with this? Why are California and New York deliberately refusing to collect and report data on criminal offenses? They don't want the public to know how many crimes the illegal aliens are actually committing because the public would be appalled by it. Uh, And so they're refusing to do it. Um, And Texas is one of the few states that actually provides reports on crimes committed by uh, illegal aliens. And in the latest report from the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, get these numbers. From June 2011 through December of last year, more than 389,000 criminal aliens were booked into local Texas jails. And of those, uh, they were charged with 454,000 criminal offenses, including 847 homicides. You can't hide wow. dead bodies, so they're dead. 55,000 assaults, 901 kidnappings, 22,000 thefts, 5,579 sexual assaults, 6,700 sexual offenses, and the list goes on and on and on. And so when you have a combination of a open border policy and then you have these George Soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors, you got one in New York, Alvin Bragg, who refuse to prosecute mm-hmm. entire categories of misdemeanors and water down felonies to misdemeanors. Um, and you got three there in Texas in the big cities. Uh, a lot of these folks have a green light to commit crimes. Uh, and in, in states or cities that are sanctuary cities, uh, the officials are not even report the crimes were, hap- were, were, were committed by illegal aliens. It's disaster. Now, I, I look at this and I mean, I hear it all the time. I, I feel like we talk about it a lot here. And and yet I feel like we we're not headed in the right direction. Uh, I, I, I sense that there's a willingness in Congress to, to do what's right. I just don't know if there's the the amount of political capital that we need to make these things right. And I had this conversation just recently about maybe withholding funding and using the power of the purse to kind of um, persuade the Biden administration uh, to um, toughen up their approach at the border. How do you think this unfolds? Where do we go from here, Kali Stimson? Well, first off, I'm not somebody who thinks Congress needs to do anything more uh, in terms of passing more laws. I think the executive branch needs to enforce the laws that are on the books. That would be a great start. Uh, But secondly, I think that, you know, one of the powers that the Congress has is the power of impeachment. And I think you've already seen articles of impeachment filed against Mm -hmm. Mayorkas, Mayorkas, excuse me for mispronouncing his name. And I think he's going to get impeached by the House. I don't think he'll be convicted by the Senate because the numbers just aren't there, unless some Democratic senators who are vulnerable uh, in the next cycle, and there's over 23 or four of them in cycle in the 2024 election, may think, yeah, you know, we can throw the guy over the over the overboard, uh, and and you know, then be able to say we're bipartisan. 
I think if it came even close to that, Mayorkas would just resign. But that won't fix the problem. That won't right. make the Biden administration all of a sudden decide, oh, my gosh, we need to enforce the law here because they're pro-illegal immigrant. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so I think the other power now that the House is in control of the Republicans is oversight. And, you know, having served in an administration before, it's no fun getting hauled up to Congress and getting the third degree every other mm-hmm. week. And so that may change their behavior or make some people reluctant to turn a blind eye towards enforcing the law. But look, you know, I've had the privilege of being a criminal defense lawyer and a prosecutor at the local, state, and federal level, and a judge. So I've seen all sides of the criminal justice system. And most people, as you know, Rich, are not coming in this country are criminals. They're not criminals. They're coming here for a better life and making money and all the rest of it. But for the ones who are, they need to be held accountable. Whether you're here illegally or here legally, you need to be held accountable when you commit crimes. And that's just not happening in either the cities with Soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors or uh, at the border, because these Border Patrol agents, they're heroes. They are people who are putting their lives on the line every single day, and they have a boss in the president who's saying, you know what, don't do your job. And that's pathetic. You know, Carly Stimson, I'm going to try and make this as succinct as I can. I, I tend to get my coffee every day at a Cuban coffee shop, and the guy who uh, is my barista came from Cuba mm-hmm. years ago, and he's telling me that he's seeing this uptick in crime in Miami and that yeah. it's being committed by people that are coming by way of Nicaragua and other places. They fly from Cuba to Nicaragua to pay a smuggler to get them through to the border, and then they're welcomed with open arms into the United States, and then they go to Miami and they wreak havoc. And it's like the um, the uh, the crime wave of the 1980s, back when the cocaine cowboys were doing what they did. And, and right. he, you know, he's complaining about the Cubans that are doing this. And he's a Cuban guy who came here on a jet ski, by the way, from Havana to Key West. Wow. And he's saying, you know, wow. I came here, I built the business and I, uh, you know, I, I became a citizen. These guys are coming here just to they robbing people in Cuba. And now they come in here to rob people uh, in, in Miami. And, and he's disgusted by it. And, you know, so when we talk about crime, th- there are people uh, and I'm not saying it's the majority. I think it's a minority. But I think a lot of countries are saying, well, this is an easy way to get rid of our undesirables. Sad but true. And, you know, most people don't realize that crime, including violent crime, has been on a massive decline since its peak in 1992. And incarceration has been on a steep decline since 2008. But now you're seeing an uptick in the cities of these Soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors Mm -hmm. and in these cities uh, with a lot of illegal aliens uh, who are committing crimes. Uh, And so uh, that's bad news. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say with a minute to go, I wanted to make sure you had a chance to let everybody know how they could find your work and uh, support what you're doing. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Go on the web and you can type in Heritage Rogue Prosecutors. We have an entire splash page there about all our scholarship. We have a book. I have a book coming out in March on Rogue Prosecutors. Um, but also disheritage.org, and you can go on the immigration tab and read uh, what I've written and others have written on immigration. And the piece you were referring to, very kindly, Rich, was the piece that uh, Hans von Spakovsky and I wrote at The Daily Caller. Uh, yeah. But uh, And I'm on Twitter at Cully Stimson. Well, thanks for being with us. We'll bring you back on in March if you're, uh, if you're available to discuss the new book. And I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Kali Stimson from the Heritage Foundation. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Uh, We're going to continue our conversations tonight. Don't go anywhere. We're going to 
have a chat with Robert Woodson from the Woodson Center. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our telephone number. If you want to join this conversation, 833-482-5337 or 833, the number four, followed by my last name, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, continuing our discussions tonight, we um, I, I really enjoy the conversations that we have with the folks here um, because I'm not just picking their brains, but really trying to have a back and forth with them where I think um, you all, the listeners, really um have uh, something that you can benefit from this because I, I think they're they're quite brilliant. And um, one of these brilliant individuals, somebody I bumped into at the Epic Times Christmas party not too long ago, Bob Woodson, and uh, I'd known him from his appearances on the Mark Levin Show and uh, the amazing work he's done with 1776 Unites and uh, so much other work that he's done at the Woodson Center, and that's woodsoncenter.org. Uh, but Bob Woodson, I want to welcome you to the program. Welcome, sir. Uh, pleased to be here. Thank you, sir. Pleased to be here. Let's um, let's jump in to uh, a few things. Obviously, today's um, Martin Luther King Day, and um, I've had some some discussions about how I don't know that the Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King would be very thrilled about uh, the situation that we're in today. I feel like a lot of things aren't going uh, as as he would have wished them to go, both both socially and and quite likely politically. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, realize that there's. There's a lot of issues uh, around the area of poverty, and uh, I think that gets exacerbated with the current administration's policies on inflation and uh, triggering a recession that's going to affect, I think, the uh, the working poor and those that are living in poverty. So um, we have a little bit of time together, and I'd, I'd like to go through a number of issues. But I guess let's start off a little bit with maybe you telling us a little bit about your work um, related to the 1776 Unites. Well, thanks. Um, I have um, I started the Woodson Center in 1981. Uh, I'm a veteran of the civil rights movement, having led demonstrations in Westchester, Pennsylvania. That's a small city uh, 30 miles west of Philadelphia. That's mm-hmm. the home of Barrett Rustin. Um, and I knew Barrett Rustin quite well. And I used to lead demonstrations there and in the 60s. But I became frustrated and, and, and parted company with the civil rights movement on the issue of force busing for integration. I felt that the opposite of segregation was not integration, but desegregation. And that sort of uh, got me out of favor with the leadership. And also, I left the movement on the issue of, 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 of class. Dr. King said, what good does it do to have the right to lit?" to live where you choose or to eat where you choose if you don't have the means to exercise that right. So the civil rights movement did not place much emphasis on preparing people to walk through the doors of opportunity. In other words, they didn't address the issue of poverty. And so it was on those two issues that I parted company and began to realize that the civil rights movement was beginning to morph into a race grievance industry. Um, and so uh, I've had problems. Um, there's been tensions ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, in that movement because, and I think that the civil rights movement now has been hijacked by, uh, I think, progressive white elites um, and to the detriment of the country and particularly harmful to low-income blacks and low-income people of all races and ethnicities. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And, and not just uh, the, the economic aspect, but what you talked about movements being hijacked, even when there is no such movement. I, I just happened to see something today where a reporter, a Spanish language reporter um, on Telemundo made a comment saying that Latinx being being banned uh, by uh, the governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, was somehow an affront and, and uh, an impediment to... Um, to the collective Hispanic movement. And I thought, you know, my parents were born in Puerto Rico. I, I grew up in Brooklyn and live in Jersey now. And I've never felt any impediment because of a word that was invented by white Marxists, I don't know, five minutes ago. So it seems like they just, they take themselves a little too seriously. And I think others are starting to believe the, the phony rhetoric that they come up with. Well, but it's really what they have done, at least with the black community, is uh, appro- uh, appropriated the legacy of the civil rights movement and and applied it in such a way they migrated it to to include everybody under the sun as marginalized and therefore deservant of special treatment um, and even preferential treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is really divisive. Dr. King said racism isn't bad because it's visited upon blacks by whites. It's bad because it is evil, and all of us must unite against this evil. So King was summoning all of us to to understand what the real issues are. Um, and, and I think that the, the fact that the, the, the left is trying to make race, in fact, they have very successfully made race central to everything this nation is, is doing. And they've made, they've used and abused America's birth defect of slavery. Um, and, and they've used it as, as a stain against the country. And they are trying to redefine the nation by its birth defect. And that's why it's important for us to push back against that. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Uh, amigos, we are on with Robert L. Woodson. Bob Woodson is the founder and president of the Woodson Center. And um, we're going to continue our conversation with him. And you're welcome to join that conversation as well. 833-482-5337-833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez, with an S. And uh, coming up, I want to continue this conversation. I want to also just continue the uh the conversation on poverty, because this is, seems to me that poverty has been an issue ever since I've been alive. And again, you started this Woodson Center in 1981. I was born in 78. So I was a little kid when you were getting busy on this stuff. But my entire lifetime, I have seen poverty be a problem. And um, I don't think it's going anywhere. So I'd like to get your take on, you know, what 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 you've seen, what the trends are, if they're trending up or trending down and whatnot. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle, folks. We're coming straight back with Bob Woodson here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And I'm having a wonderful conversation with our friend Bob Woodson from the Woodson Center. WoodsonCenter.org is uh, the website for the Woodson Center. And I'm looking at an article, uh, and I don't normally um, read the Los Angeles Times, but I, you know, I peruse it from time to time, and I see a headline here. The headline is, On a Poverty Tour Across California, Agony, Anger, and Hope is uh, what is found. And this is um, an advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom that's on this tour, Michael Tubbs, uh, who is his economic uh, mobility advisor. And he's finding that things aren't really well in in California, uh, in large part to their policies. And it makes me wonder, uh, I know things aren't going great in California, and there's mass migration from regular Californians going everywhere else in America for better opportunity. Uh, but Bob Woodson, um, have we seen the needle move much, uh, and I think we have, but you correct me if I'm wrong, on poverty uh, in the you know in the years that you've been following this work and covering this work on poverty? No, we haven't seen the needle, but I think we let me let me address two myths about poverty in America. Yeah, the first the first myth is that. Poverty is the cause of people engaging in criminal behavior. That is just, there's no correlation between aberrant, unlawful behavior and poverty. If you look at uh, sharecroppers, if you look at during the Depression, uh, when when there was a negative GNP, when the unemployment rate among whites was 25%, among blacks it was 40%. the black community uh, under where, where racism was enshrined in law and we were uh, 80% in poverty, we had the highest marriage rate of any group in society. Elderly people could walk in that community without fear of being mugged by their grandchildren. Right. Children were not shot in their, in their cribs. I was born during the Depression, 1937. And from the time I was born until I went through high school, I never heard a gunfire in those communities, even though it was segregated and it was poor. So there's this myth that 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 poverty is related to crime and, 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 and whatnot. The second myth is that the conditions of high unemployment, out of wedlock birth, 70 percent, that somehow this is a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. Another myth and a lie that the, the conditions that you're witnessing in the urban centers today are, are a direct result of the policies of the 60s, not racial discrimination in the, in, in, prior to the 60s. And I have this well-documented in our essays in 1776. When, when white America was at its worst, black America was at its best. Up until 1985, uh, uh, 65, until the poverty program, so 85% of black families are a man and a woman raising children. Right. The poverty rate was actually being reduced uh, by almost uh, 30% in, in 20 years. But all of that stopped when we spent $22 trillion of the poverty program with 70% of that money over those years went not to the poor, but those who served the poor. So we created a commodity out of poor people 
in the last 60 years, that's why poverty has barely moved, even with all those expenditures. So we have a poverty industry, we have a race grievance industry, and they're funded by the taxpayers in many instances. Absolutely. They, these, the, the professional classes, and they're made up of whites, black, Hispanics, it's a real class issue. They ask not which problems are solvable, which ones are fundable this year. Right. Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Bob Woodson, uh, founder of the Woodson Center. You could catch them at woodsoncenter.org, woodsoncenter.org. Now, for years, I've, you know, I've, I've read um, your colleague, Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, and, and, and your work uh, on this. And, and I feel like th- there's so many great people out there that are putting out the information uh, like you are right now, you know, um, dropping the truth bombs. Yet it seems that the narrative doesn't change. Why is it that that isn't happening? Well, I must say that the left has been very astute because they have a gra- they have a ground game, and those of us who believe in traditional values of America, we have not had a ground game in the last fifty years. Hmm. When I say a ground game, I mean what the left does. They invest in people. George Soros puts a lot of money into low income communities, uh, paying people to riot. He does a number of things, but nevertheless, he he's invested in all of these prosecutors that are are are, yeah. are are destroying the country. In other words, we have been content with complaining, spending money on political campaigns, and not investing in uh, institutions and individuals within these communities that share the values of the nation, but and also are, the, are, are, are committed to the principles of faith family. But we have not made the investments in them, and nor are we telling their story of, of, of redemption, of transformation. And that's what the Woodson Center does. Outstanding. I, I want to uh, continue that conversation and really get your final thought on on how we do go away from poverty, because you mentioned uh, you dispelled the myths, and, and I'm in full agreement there, but I think there's there's more that can be done, and I think you know the answer to it. So we're going to hit a break right here. We're going to come back with Bob Woodson, founder of the Woodson Center, woodsoncenter.org. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and we are on with Bob Woodson, founder of the thewoodsoncenter.org. And Bob Woodson, um, we were putting a, a point on our conversation with respect to poverty. And one of the main things that stood out for me was you said, you know, back when um, this whole thing started or when you started tracking it, there were whole families, and I feel that when there was rules or legislation that came with getting different types of funding and making it more difficult to have married people in the home, and I, I think uh, there was there was part of the driving force 
in uh, creating this kind of permanent poverty in certain urban neighborhoods. How do we get away from that? First of all, you're right. In, in my book, the um, lessons from the least of these, I, I actually validate that, that and, and I don't have time to develop it, mm-hmm. but there was a deliberate policy uh, in the 60s to separate work from income, and therefore um, it would destroy families, children, the people would drop out of school, and what they predicted came true. And that's when you're out of wedlock births, when we, we began to reward father, fatherless homes um, and, and whatnot. So that was one, one pillar of it. But, uh, and, and, but we, what we also did was make it easy for people not to marry and, in fact, discourage marriage. Um, and and, and that's, that's the other thing that, that we did. But what, what the solution is, it seems to me, what we have found we have gone into low-income, high-crime neighborhoods, and we go in and not look at the glasses being half empty, but it's half full. We look for people who are, if we say that 70% of families living in the black community are raising children that are dropping out of school and drugs, that means that 30% are not. So we go into the homes of the 30% to find out what is going on in those homes that is where the parents are, are living um, responsibly and raising their children, and how can we learn from their ability to achieve against the odds? And, and we found there are a lot of organizations in there, and then we fund them and help to take those families, uh, the, the solutions that have been developed by the 30%, so we can apply that to the 70%. And we, for instance, in the last two years, We've given out about $1.5 million to 300 organizations in these communities, and they are producing some fabulous results in terms of uh, expanding centers of moral and spiritual excellence, um, where uh, children, uh, people are coming together and marrying. There being young ladies that had babies out of wedlock are becoming re-moralized and are living responsible lives. Uh, so it is possible to, to make gains, and we're demonstrating it mm-hmm. every day at the Woodson Center. Um, we, have, we have groups in 39 states, all different racial groups. Um, and so that's, it's, that's how you fight poverty. But in order, for, in order to convince people that the values of mm-hmm. this nation are, are important, you have to do more than just give them an argument. You must point to people whose lives embody the values of, 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 of faith and country, right. and then write about and let them speak for themselves. Yep. Now, Bob Woodson, uh, in the uh, half a minute that we have remaining, let everybody know how they could follow the wonderful work that you're doing and how they could support you in that. Yeah, my, it's, it's the woodsoncenter.org um, and or 1776unites.com. If you go on our website, you will see uh, a book that uh, red, white, and black. We've developed curriculum that's been downloaded 55,000 times by, by schools and people all over the country talking about the success of America in the face of the challenges that we face. 
Um, and um, I think you go on that website and you can see examples mm-hmm. uh, that destroys the myths that America is incurably racist. And it says this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. Thank you, Bob Woodson. You're a gentleman and a scholar. God bless you, and I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Rich Valdez, Open Phone America, coming right up. Don't move a muscle. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? Good evening. Hi there. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, final hour here, um, one of my favorites because it's a tradition of of Larry King's from 1978, Open Phone America. Uh, Jim Bohannon, the late, great Jim Bohannon, carried that on for three decades here, Open Phone America. And uh, I am doing the same, and I, I enjoy it. Um, yeah, for my own selfish purposes, I really enjoy speaking with people from every corner of this fruited plain. It really uh, it, it gives you such perspective from from where I'm positioned. So I, I do appreciate that. And our telephone number, if you want to call us, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I believe uh, we have scheduled the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, to be on the program tomorrow at the bottom of the hour in hour number one. So it's 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Again, I say scheduled because, you know, when you're a presidential candidate, uh, sometimes, you know, schedules change. But should everything remain on schedule, uh, you will uh, hear that conversation with uh, President Trump and I. And if uh, they're not, you'll hear that conversation with me and I. Anyway, (laughs) we continue. There's a bunch of things I want to get to. Now, we had... The Miss Universe uh, pageant that occurred over the weekend, and this one was interesting, and I won't spend a bunch of time on it. I'll do a little hit and run here so we can get to your calls. But the Miss Universe pageant was bought by a, a transsexual um, billionaire, and I, we, we covered that when it happened. But over the weekend, there was some uh, a video of, of this person saying, you know, um, we've now... You know, we're, we're providing this this pageant for we men. <laughs> and, and I don't think it was just an accent. I think they were saying we men, like, you know, smaller men. Uh, and, and I just thought it was so striking to me that, and if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Uh, maybe that she was saying women uh, with, you know, like a, a thick accent. But I don't think that was the case. And if it was, it was just interesting to me, at least the way I perceived it, that the Miss Universe pageant is run by someone that was a mister and isn't even a miss or is a miss now, but wasn't a mister or wasn't miss. You see what I mean? It's a little confusing. It's not that easy uh, to, to wrap my head around that. But again, I'm just a, a ultra mega semi fascist. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, clinging to my guns and Bibles type of guy. But women. Weeman. So Weeman is something I will, if I have the audio, I'll get it for you. If not today, uh, we'll, we'll listen to that tomorrow. But I wanted to put it out there because I thought it was interesting. And um, 
We also have Janet Yellen, who um, had some a uh, little bit of a warning uh, to um, to Americans about what's going on as they raise the debt ceiling and what type of changes we can expect. So we'll maybe touch on that at the uh, at the bottom of the hour. We also have the um, the crazies are getting together. It's like a crazy convention, you know. In Comic Con, people wear costumes and and there's some cosplay where they pretend to be certain people. But what's interesting is they go. And they're dressed as whatever they believe. But at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, these actually are crazies, right? You know, you've got Yuval Harari and Klaus Schwab, and they invite all these world leaders to brainwash them and sell them on these crazy ideas that we've talked about uh, on occasion on this program. And I try not to give these guys a lot of airtime because I don't want to get into fear-mongering. I want to talk about things that are fun, like entertainment. And, I mean, today we talked about a lot of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and his legacy. But in general, I like to talk about all topics, not just politics, and especially not just the politics of Klaus Schwab, because I think he's a whack job. And it's just one of those things that I you know, don't want to talk about it. But every now and again, you have to kind of talk about it because it's just so odd. He's a real life Dr. Evil, pinky in the mouth and all with the crazy <laughs> type of uh, laugh that he does. So and again, I don't know. If he does that. Dr. Evil does the laugh. But you get my point. So those are some of the things I want to get to that are kind of off the beaten path. In addition to the topics we discussed, we discussed the border tonight. We discussed poverty and how uh, traditional families uh, have been affected with uh, with this, um, you know, high rates of divorce, um, unwed un- unwed children, uh, <laughs> children being born into wedlock. Excuse me. These are the things that happen in hour number three when you're doing late night radio and and things of that nature. So, you know, everything's on the table and we're going to get to your calls. I see that we have calls from from New York, calls from Pittsburgh, calls from Chicago, and I welcome the rest of your calls as well. And we're going to get to those, but I wanted to read you another headline here that um, there's a library that closed because it's contaminated with meth. Inglewood, Colorado, for the second time in a month. I remember talking about this about uh, a few weeks ago. A Colorado library has closed its doors to clean up methamphetamine contamination. Officials in Denver, in the Denver suburb of Inglewood, shut down the library uh, last week with a, with a couple of hours getting test results saying that there was contamination of methamphetamine in the restrooms. So people are going to the public library to get high on meth. I thought people came to New York City to do that. Apparently it's happening everywhere. And drugs are running rampant all over the place. So this is um, just one of those things that we will continue to talk about. But I want to give you the number and invite you to give us a call. Let us um, do that. Eight, what is it? No, it's not. 866-505-4626 remains our legacy number. And you're always welcome to call. As well as 833, the number 4 Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. How's that for... Uh, confusing odd numbers in interesting sequences. Let us um, talk to our friend Hope, who's calling us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on KDKA, wonderful affiliate, just won the World Radio Day Award. And that's where my my former PD, Dave Labrosi, is a, a, a PD over there as well, or vice president, I should say. So Hope, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. All right. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing great now that I'm talking to you. It must be cool going through life with a name like Hope. <laughs> it is. 
but it's more helpful to me as well as I try to encourage others. Keep hope alive. Amen to and that, sister. hope, the word means a confident expectation. So I love I try it. to um, let people know. But I thank God that my mom named me Hope. Me too. Anyway. So tell me, what's on your mind, Hope? What are you hopeful about? Yeah, I just wanted to um, share, you know, as, as we on the eve of Martin Luther King um, celebration, yes. just wanted to share um, a couple um, statements that he made within some of his speeches, but it's just real brief. It says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of convenience and comfort, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Hmm. And he also said that the time is always right to do what is right. And this one I, I call Dead Man Walking. He said a man dies when he refuses to stand up for which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. And I, I'm listening to all your guests, and I wanted to talk to Brewer. I wanted to talk to Woodson. I wanted to talk about the border. But I just wanted to, you know, encourage everyone. It's just not um, a Democrat and a Republican thing. We mm -hmm. have to get back down to what really matters. And the heart is what matters, and if it's connected with righteousness, uh, with, you know, as God will put it in his word, those who thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And everybody who's out here seeking for greed or anything else, we already can come to the conclusion that they are not filled. I'm filled today. I, I, I know Martin Luther King was filled Mm -hmm. Because we're, we're we're always seeking righteousness, and oh. whenever we are in our political you know mm -hmm. situations where we have to decide on a political, um, you know our leaders, we have sure. to always put that before us. Now I didn't get to the border, but just briefly <laughs> go, on the border. Go right ahead. I don't know if this is going to be filled with hope, but uh, lay it on me. <laughs> right. So on the border. I see that we haven't, well, we've been having a dilemma down there. I see that we have the same dilemma we have all over the United States, a dilemma in workforce. We need more processes down there. It says that in the United States it takes up to 20 years to get a visa here. Um, they're saying that there is 1.8 million cases pending in immigration courts as of June 2022. Well, and you we know why that problem. happens, Hope? Because people are are stuck in this immigration court process because we don't add immigration judges. If we had more immigration judges, we would be able to move this system along a little bit quicker. But it's a lot harder than you think. And and this is one of the bigger problems we have. I mean, obviously, the biggest problem is that we're letting so many people in. And we clearly know that they're not allowed to come in on the basis that they're claiming. So people are claiming asylum. Right. And asylum is uh, under the law. You can't just show up at any country of your choosing and say, I'm fleeing persecution in my home country. And all of a sudden just uh, say, hey, I'm here. You have to flee to the country, the next country closest to your country that will offer you asylum. 
and you know, and they'll adjudicate that. However, here we have people coming from all over the globe, and they all show up at the Texas border. <laughs> and it's just miraculous. Everybody wants to be in asylum in the United States. So when you have this type of massive influx, you're going to have this massive backlog with immigration um, adjudications. And there's not enough of them as it is. And it takes forever, like you aptly pointed out. However, what we need to do is stop them from getting in in the first place. And that was something that the previous administration was really good at, where uh, they used something called TPP or the Remain in Mexico policy. And they were able to keep people in Mexico and work with the the appropriate um, embassies and whatnot to uh, process their asylum claims in the countries that were closest to where they could seek that asylum. So um, excellent points. Thank you for sharing those uh, hopeful words with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for your listenership. And there is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I want to remind you that we have a really exciting show tomorrow. And in the spirit of true late night talk radio, we're going to discuss alcoholism and uh, one individual's story around alcoholism in their family. Uh, Non-political story. It's really something I just wanted to talk about because I think we've got to get into all the different topics that are out there. Uh, We're also uh, going to talk with a mom who's um, had the courage to go up against the school board uh, because of what she believed it was right. And again, this mom is a Democrat. Uh, So again, this is also not a political issue. I think this is an issue of right versus wrong. So I'm looking forward to those conversations as well as our scheduled conversation with Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And I hope you'll tune in for that tomorrow. Now, I want to continue with our little journey across the country. Um, we have, let's see here, um, New York, Arizona, New York again, um, WGN 720 in Chicago. Let's check in with our friend Larry. Larry, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, hi. I'm first-time caller. Happy to catch you because you don't come on till 1 a.m. here in Chicago. Ah, so. yes, the wonders of the Midwest. Thank you for tuning in, you'll, Larry. You'll, I appreciate you'll, it. You'll, you'll love this. I'm originally from Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm sorry to hear named. I was friends with a guy named Frank Capra, who made a series of films sure. during World War II called uh, Why We Fight. And that's the whole point is preserving liberty and justice. And mm-hmm. uh, it's good you're going to have uh, the former president on tomorrow because I like his former U.S. Attorney General, um, William Barr, who wrote a book called... Uh, uh, well, let me uh, ask you a question book. before we go promoting books and that I'm not going to get a cut on. Uh, Let's talk about your comment about my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as AOC, or as I like to call her, All Out Crazy. Larry? The reason I mentioned Hollywood and Frank Capra, because I also knew... Oh, Larry, now you're trying my nerves. I'm asking about AOC. You'll you'll like... Hold on a second. You know what? We're going to cue the Michael Jackson music. 
our uh, producer, Mr. Hinton, is going to get that Michael Jackson music ready so that we can have this conversation the right way because I like Frank Capra and I want to hear what you have to say about AOC. Thanks. But I don't hear the music. Okay. Um, well, go ahead, Larry. Let's, let's mention Doris Day. Doris Day mm. was a friend of mine. She passed that seems like your Day. third strike, Larry. I, I, I understood you wanted to speak about AOC, and I get a little bit leery when people don't tell the, the truth and the whole truth when they speak with our call screener, Mr. Delac, also known as Count Delacula. So on that note, I will bid you adieu and thank you for your call, Larry. Always a pleasure. If you want to talk about AOC, maybe give us a call another day and get straight to your point because those things are very important. Uh, now, let us continue our little journey here. Let's go to Jane in Saratoga, New York. Jane, you've got about 90 seconds. Hi, Jane. Okay, I'll, I'll do this as fast as I can. It's um, Thank you, anyway. And your call screener is the most awesome person. Oh, he's um, great. I tell him, you know, I'm going to steal half your time. Maybe I'll hold you over. He he has this voice for like a a top 40, um, you know, oldies radio show. He's a genius when it comes to that, Count Delacula. He really is. But go right ahead. Certainly he's not. Okay. Yeah, when in 1963, when I was very, very, very young, and my brother, I could not stop talking about Reverend King. So my brother took me to Memphis just to shut me up. And um, we went to a rally, and Reverend King was speaking. Um, we got there. I was a little teeny, tiny, skinny girl that never could tan, so my skin almost <laughs> glow in the dark. And so we were standing in the crowd, and suddenly Reverend King looked up. I was literally the only Caucasian in the crowd. He looked up, and he says, Hey, Snowball, what you doing down there, sweetie? And he said, Could I come down and talk to you? I said, yes, sir. He said, why are you here? I said, because I admire you, and you are an amazing person, and I want to see you. He said, Snowball, could I ask you two questions? I said, yes, sir. He said, when you look at me, what color do you see? I said, well, sir, I see orange. And he, he looked a little puzzled. He said, why is that? I said, because you're wearing an orange flower on your lapel. He said, okay, that's reasonable. He said, now, Snowball, when you look at my skin, what color do you see? I said, well, and I smiled and kind of snickered, and I said, well, sir, you are a person who certainly has a much deeper tan than I do. And he started laughing, and he said, you are a wonderful little girl. He said, you don't judge people. He said, are you insulted that I've called you Snowball? I said, no, sir, because I know where your heart is. Jane, I don't want to cut you off, so stay right there. We're going to finish this call on the other side. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. Coming right back.
now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez with an S. That's me. And uh, you've got the number. You can feel free to give us a call. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. Uh, But Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen notified Congress uh, a couple of days ago of her intentions. And we have a report on that because the debt limit is set to be struck. Thank you for the interlude. Uh, It's set to be um, going into uh, default on Thursday, and they want to avoid this default. like They usually do with a continuing resolution and the rest of the uh, tax and spend and mortgaging of our children's futures. But that's what's going on. So I want you to hear this audio clip from a reporter on NBC News. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just wrote a letter to leaders in Congress saying that beginning next Thursday, January 19th, the United States will be reaching its statutory debt limit of just more than $31 trillion, at which point it will have to start taking what it calls extraordinary measures to conserve capital at the federal governmental level uh, to avoid a default on debt. To do that, Treasury is going to be withholding some investments from retirement funds for postal service workers as well well as other federal government employees. And Secretary Yellen says that uh, as soon as any such deal on the debt ceiling is reached, that those investment accounts will be made whole. A senior administration official tells me that the White House believes that negotiations on a potential debt ceiling deal would begin in earnest after the tax season deadline in mid-April, at which point Treasury will know exactly what tax receipts have come in, what revenue looks like, and exactly how much time will be left on the clock at which point they'll be able to begin negotiations with Republicans in Congress about exactly how a deal could come together. Secretary Yellen says that uh, the U.S. will be able to maintain these extraordinary measures until about early June. We'll see how that goalpost moves in the coming months. All right. So uh, the long and short of this is there's some um, horse trading, right? It's a little hardball here, a little uh, blackmail, a little I will take away your uh, postal retirement. I will make these these interesting, extraordinary measures if uh, you don't fall in line and give us the money we want, right? And this is a, a really interesting thing to me because um, they're, they're going to try and position this against McCarthy, against uh, the Republicans, making it seem like Republicans are doing something wrong. And, and I, I hope, uh, kind of like our caller before Hope said, and I'll, I'll mess this up, but she said something about it's easy to do the right thing when it's comfortable, uh, but it won't be easy to do when you're staring in the face of the media beating you up, saying you won't shut the government down. You won't do this. You won't do. That. And I hope McCarthy sticks to his guns and I, I hope he um, he does allow what needs to happen to happen because it really isn't that dire. And uh, we do need to get this done. And I think he's shown his ability to play hardball and to to go along to get along as well. And hopefully we can get to a resolution on this. But I just find it interesting how the they're willing to to play hardball and hold people's livelihoods uh, hostage just because, you know, uh, they want their way. So we'll continue to, to monitor this and see what happens on Thursday. Uh, but we will continue with your calls and uh, – I want to go back to Jane because Jane was telling us about how when she was a little girl uh, that had the inability to tan, she went with her very fair complexion to a speech that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was giving, and he approached her and called her Snowball, and they had a very uh, nice exchange, and ultimately after telling 
MLK that she saw orange when looking at him when he said, what color do I look like? She said, orange because you're wearing an orange flower in your lapel. And then he asked her, Jane? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. I was listening to you. I thought, wow, that's good. Uh, he, he asked me, when you look at my skin, what color do you see? I said, well, sir, you have a much deeper tan than I do. That's hmm. for sure. And he started laughing, and he said, what, what is your real name? And I told him, and he said, are you insulted when I call you Snowball? I said, no, sir, I am not. And he stopped, and he said, Snowball, could I give you a hug? I said, yes, sir, <laughs> that would be the most awesome thing in my life. And he gave me a big hug. The whole crowd started hugging and laughing and smiling, and he stopped for a minute, and he said, everyone, please take this into your lives with you when you leave here. He said, please. Live your lives by loving your fellow man. And please mm-hmm. go out into the world and think like this little girl. He said, if you do that, we can be a strong, strong world. And think about God. And it was, it was beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Him. He was an amazing human being. Outstanding, Jane. I appreciate it. Let me tell you, what a story. You know, I've gotten to meet some really cool people in my uh, short life, but I'll tell you, MLK is not one of them, and that is very cool. I'm envious. I would love to have have met him and uh, gotten a a little bit of uh, what you had. So congratulations to you as we continue celebrating the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Let us go straight across the country from New York to Arizona and check in with Pat in Arizona. Pat, welcome. Hey, Rich. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at your pictures in on your web uh, web page. You got some. Be- you got a beautiful family, sir. You're oh, very thank blessed. You. Thank you. They take uh, after those, their mom. Two, their two girls probably well, probably going. They probably drive you crazy. But you know, talking about Martha Luther. I mean, he. You know, a lot of people probably know this. He was a Republican. You yeah, know, well, you know, I had read that, heard that, and I think at different times he might have been different things. But according to his niece, who was on with us at a at the top of the hour, um, or just past that earlier in the ten o'clock hour, she said he spent most of his time as an independent. Well, that's good. That's even better because that's what I am. And I mean, the man had the intention of showing how strong love is. Love is better than hate. Hate kills. Hate destroys you. Mm-hmm. I think at the time he lived in the country, the, the way the country was in turmoil, I mean, it's almost, it's very much like what we are right now at this point. And yeah. I mean, look at the FBI. I mean, the FBI was out uh, doing something. They weren't very uh, friendly to him, the FBI, right? Setting him up, saying all sorts of things, exposing all of his dirty laundry. Uh, it was, it was uh, quite a time for the Rev. And uh, I think you're right, though. It was uh, it was it was difficult, and there are probably some parallels. Again, I wasn't alive back then, but I could only imagine uh, from the conversations I have with people now, where they say, "Man, I haven't seen it like this. It's never been this bad," you know. And then I think back. Well, it was around that time that they killed an American president, uh, and by they, you fill in the blank, whoever you want they to be. But 
it, 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 you're, you're right. I think there was definitely a lot of contention, and it was a difficult time, Pat. Yeah, and he saw what I see. You know, I see the splintering and the uh, and the destruction of our of our glue as, as Americans, and that, and that bothers me a lot because I don't hate my fellow Democrat. I don't hate my fellow Republican. I disagree, but I wish we would have debate without hatred and say, okay, if we can't come to the conclusion, you know, find an answer. Let's all agree to not agree. And let's make what this country is a great place to live, a great place to raise your families. This is a good country. Why do you think everybody wants to come here? You know, we work hard. All of you out there, you work hard to make this. And we've got to get along. We can't let these few people in our government destroy our glue. And, and I think if we keep that and Martin Luther King's idea of love and caring yep. for people, Snowball, that was a great story. <laughs> I love it. It was. And hope you'll write about the Reverend Hay and his idea of love is a strength in our country. It's, a, it's one Amen of the to that, in Pat. our family. Yeah. Pat, I, w- I want to thank you. I got to hit a break right here. Uh, but excellent points. And I agree with you that uh, I opened up with um, reading a passage from uh, the King Center on the beloved community. And I do think while it sounds altruistic and while I could occasionally be abrasive, I do believe that's the best remedy for society today is to focus on morality. Our founders said that this this system, this constitutional system that we have doesn't work without virtue. And that virtue comes by way of morality. And I think it all ultimately comes from this idea of the beloved community, caring for your fellow man, caring for Snowball and caring for good Arizonans like you on WVOI, Pat. So thanks for the call. We appreciate it. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, now we are back. Okay. So uh, there's this story that I mentioned earlier about the Weeman, the Weeman, and the Weeman um, of Miss Universe. The CEO now says that a third party was handling their results and that the allegations that the results were rigged are false. Yes, and that's right. There is a report uh, that Anne Jackarajatip, the new owner of Miss Universe, has been accused of rigging the pageant for Miss USA, who won the crown over runner-up Miss Venezuela. Now, Amy Emmerich, she's the CEO of Miss Universe Organization, tells TMZ that one of our top four accounting firms in the United States handled the results and verified the process. I wonder if that's true. When she says top four, I wonder if she means big four. I'm going to do a little research into this. Was it like Bain? Was it um, Deloitte? You know, who was responsible for doing the uh, accounting on this? Because if it's rigged, oh, not good, no bueno, very bad, ay bendito. So we're going to keep our uh, our eyes uh, peeled and our ears open on this to see what's going on with Miss Universe and see which of the women are the actual uh, winner. But I want to um, ha- I wanted to play you a clip of audio of the president of the United States. Here he is. Uh, he's saying 
some kind words towards the wife of Martin Luther King III at a celebration, uh, breakfast celebration earlier today. Uh, it's actually the Reverend Al Sharpton's annual breakfast celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, uh, well, you listen to this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Valley. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> so it was clear that he uh, totally um, forgot the name of uh, Andrea Waters King. And her name was not Zala, like he so uh, poorly enunciated there. But uh, that is uh, Joe El Baboso Biden, the, the, the current president, and doing what he does, babosadas. In Spanish, babosadas are, are these um, bumbling statements that he makes. And the direct translation is he who drools. So that's Joe El Baboso Biden doing what he does best. Now, I want to continue our um, journey across the country here. Let us go to James in New York City because, of course, Al Sharpton is from New York City. James, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you loud and clear, Rich. How Perfect. are you? Wonderful, sir. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, three points in 90 seconds. Uh, first of all, please don't use obscene words like, uh, uh, you know, Al, you know who on the. Oh, like Weeman? Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the man is an absolute putrid excuse for a, uh, a for New York. social organizer. You know, a nutty, I don't even give him that much. Um, the thing with the hotels, with these immigrants, these illegals sure. that have come across, it's, it's a nightmare. I, I, I spent about an hour and a half walking locally. I'm in the Midtown area, and it's disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Every other block, there's a violent fight, an argument going on involving several of these people. Um, you, go, you go into stores. They've got extra security in the stores. These people are just grabbing things and walking out. You you can't even go near the hotel. They got sixteen cops at the door and national and guard. Got to show. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 disgusting. They have completely decimated the Times Square area, and I can only imagine the 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 implications of this for tourism. Its tourism is completely shot. It's it's millions of dollars coming in. Instead, millions of dollars, four hundred million dollars thus far, has gone out to these people. And they, they demand they demand cooking facilities and yeah. and daycare while they go out and meander around the city. Well, let me tell you, anyway, James, it's one of those things that I think, you know, you're seeing it. I've seen it when I'm in the city. I, I've gotten away from the city and in, in large part um, following COVID. Uh, but um, whenever I'm in Midtown and I look at what's going on, I think, wow, how is it that Broadway survives? How does how do any of these um, expensive boutiques on Fifth Avenue survive? I mean, I guess they're doing deliveries or they're doing online business. But um, the, the eateries that, you know, the dinner and a, and, a, and a show concept, I don't know how that survives because it's just not nice in, in Midtown anymore. And, you know, Times Square used to be the crown jewel. Uh, of tourism, you know, for, for so many in New York City who wanted to to see the Big Apple. So, yeah, I think you're right. I appreciate the call. We're going to continue with your calls straight across the country when we return more in a moment. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We are live. Did I mention we're live and not pre-taped? This show is on right now as it's happening. Anyway, we're going to continue uh, taking your calls as we wrap up this edition of America at Night. Let's go to Tommy in Charleston, West Virginia, 580 AM, WCHS. What's up, man? Uh, good evening, Mr. Valdez. How uh, are you, A sir? little historical uh, note on uh, uh, the uh, late uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was indeed a registered Republican yes. uh, when he had the opportunity to register to vote in Pennsylvania while going to either a divinity school or a divinity school doctorate. I forget which one it was. It was outside Philly. Uh, and then he, he became an independent later, I guess, because he wanted to divorce his activity from a partisan perspective. Yeah, makes uh, sense. God bless him. He's one of the truly great Americans of our history and certainly one of the most influential people in our post-World War II mystery, uh, history. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about tonight is this uh, budget situation or non-budget uh, debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that we're going to just cut uh, spending on postal pensions was that part of it? I, uh, I heard. Yeah. No. So here's the the, the deal if on you that. Have right. A contractual obligation. You're right. Well, I don't know the extent of it, but uh, I'll tell you what Yellen wrote about these ex, uh, extraordinary measures was that the Treasury expects to implement um, the uh, these uh, uh, a rule suspending new investments of the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund, and suspending reinvestment of the Government Securities Investment Fund for federal employees in their uh, retirement savings and their thrift savings plan. So this is, to me, a wholesale blackmail approach. Now, I know I worked in state government in New Jersey, and I can tell you, in New Jersey, pensions are constitutionally protected. Like, you could not pay other bills, but you got to pay the, the pension bill. Uh, it's literally statutory. Um I'm not sure how it works in this situation, but that's what they're holding over their heads right now. Okay. Am I on the air? Yes. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, anytime you have a contractual obligation, you think you can ignore it. Uh, that's not happening in this democratic republic, okay? Or we're all in trouble with everyone else. You know what I mean? If they could do it yeah. to whoever then you could do it to me and I could do it to you. And then we're all in trouble. Uh, the, Good uh, point. Yeah. And, and hopefully they don't do it. And that, that's what I find worrisome here. Not worrisome, but I, you know, I find it troubling, um, Tommy, is that the, the idea that every time we're going to be faced with giving the government more money, they're going to try and hold something else over, over the fire, hold something over your head to threaten you. So that people feel that pressure. And I don't think that's the way to govern. But I thank you for the call. And I wish you a good night, everybody. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it again tomorrow. I am Rich Valdez. And this is America at Night.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.